you got to know what you want. Like, what are you, what are you driving towards? Like what, what's your goal and why is it important? You know, for me, the, the ability to provide as many, uh, jobs as possible for people to work with people in the right manner. And, and I, I guess more than anything, like not wonder if they made the right decision by going to PT school. I think that happens in our profession way too much, you know, and it's, it sucks because it's a great job, but when you're sitting a couple hundred thousand dollars in the hole and you're going to make, you know, 70, $80,000 a year, like the math doesn't really add up. So, you know, it's sad that we're in that position to have such a, uh, just like personally rewarding profession. So, you know, we thought, all right, well, what if, what if, what if we can just like, you know, create as many jobs as possible where people are like, man, this is, this is an awesome job. I want to do this. I don't want to see 30 people a day. And it's, it's way less burnout. podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro and you're about to get maestro Three, two, one. Friends, Meister here, and welcome back to another episode of my favorite podcast. Today, I have with me not a once, not a twice, not a thrice, but a four time repeat offender. Clearly, I like this dude. And I think in the first episode that he came on, it was episode number 16, we actually talked about selling pornography uh, and his early days as an entrepreneur. This man's been doing in the game since day one. One, I've been on his podcast a few times. If you know me, you've probably heard me talk about him just because he is my go-to when it comes to anything cash-based. And honestly, he's really helped me just in my own evolution, my own journey. And for that, I am eternally, eternally grateful. Decided to bring him back on to hear what's going on, like a little kind of state of the union as it relates to the cash-based industry. He's got some massive goals, including adding a billion dollars to the physical therapy industry. He actually cares about this. I know that kind of when we talk, start talking about money and things like that, people tend to have that very black or white. Like if someone's going after money, they must not care about the thing. And quite frankly, Danny is the complete opposite of that. He truly believes in this. He truly cares about the profession and he's got a lot to say. So without further ado, welcome back yet again, one of my besties, Dr. Danny Matei. Welcome, Danny. <clears throat> Thank you uh, again for a great intro. You crushed those, but the <laughs> four times I didn't realize. Right. Uh, this was four times. It's funny. I feel like you know, it's just easy to to catch up with you, and it's it's fun to have you on my podcast. And I get to. It's almost like I just get to learn and like check up on like what you're doing and what you're going through. And um, you know, we were we were uh, chatting before about just like how crazy it is that we can just have a discussion and then other people can listen to it. I mean, if you think about. Back in the day, we would have to have some like big like radio tower right? in our backyard <laughs> and a bunch of a bunch of equipment, you know, and, and uh, there's no way either of us would have done any of that shit. Uh, and, and now, you know, we can just uh, we, I mean, we, we can just stand in front of a couple of computers and, and uh, have a conversation and, and hopefully, you know, share some information that helps some other people, which is pretty nuts. It's what a time to be alive. And still the same the tech fix. The tech fixes remain the same. We had some trouble before we got on here, folks. Uh, and the old turn it off, turn it on again 
yeah. save the day. I had, a, I had a good friend of mine that was a uh, IT guy in the army. He was like a cybersecurity kind of, kind of guy, but basically we always just said he's IT and he, you know, I was like, Hey man, how many problems are solved by restarting a computer? He's like 90%. So <laughs> that's exactly what we did <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and look, here we are recording <laughs> yeah. another episode. Danny, I got a question for you. So you've been on four times and the reason being is that we are both very uh, you know, prolific in, in content creation. Like your episodes that you've been on 16, 102, 276, and this will be episode something like, I don't know, around 370-ish. You have a zillion episodes as well. How often are you recording? Um, well, we put out podcasts twice uh, a week. There. Um, we're closing in on number 500 on the Entrepreneur Podcast. Um, and then we have another... 300 or so on the doc and jock podcast, but that that's technically not even up anymore. Um, mm -hmm. we have all the files, but the, the, the feed, uh, was turned off. I think we'll turn it back on eventually. There's, there's some, there's some good ones on there. If people are interested in this sort of strength conditioning hybrid, uh, approach, but, um, you know, I, I find it's for anybody that's trying to put content out, you know, for me, um, the, the thing that makes it, uh, it, or it makes me able to be consistent is the fact that, um, I, I schedule it. So I, I try to batch content. I try to do mm -hmm. a certain, um, number of, uh, you know, podcasts, or this could be even like, I write a lot of emails, which is technically content, yes, right? Like, um, I, I am still like working on, um, other books and I'm working on, um, uh, different, like big sort of, uh, blog articles that are going to be more like guides on how to do things. So I'm constantly creating content and, but I have to create time for that. And it has to be a, a pretty good chunk. So I think, you know, a, a two to four hour chunk of time to really, um, you know, get in the right frame of mind to be able to know what you want to talk about or, or, or write, and then, um, and be able to do that a couple times uh, a month. Um, if depending on how much you're putting out is, is what I do. And we have, um, help, right? So, mm -hmm. um, I don't, I do the audio. I, you know, I record it. I, I basically just put in our, uh, calendar of what the title is going to be. And then our team just, just does the rest. So that's very helpful as well. If you're, if you outsource all the stuff you don't like to do, I think you're more likely to stick to it. And, um, 100%. you know, it's something that doesn't happen overnight. I feel like podcasting's a good solid year before you really are going to know if it's going to work or not for you. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Danny, do you, this is me just being nosy. Yeah. Where do Go you write it. on like you're recording, I'm guessing downstairs in the like basement yeah. area. That's right. I'm in my bomb shelter. I love uh, that. So I actually had a guy come in who was working on the, uh, we have our air handler down here for our air conditioning unit. And, uh, he was like, yo dude, what's up with the recording studio? Are you some kind of musician? And, uh, <laughs> And I was like, did you see any instruments, dude? What are you talking about? There's shit down there. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's a podcast. He's like, oh God, that's, he's like, my grandma's thinking about starting a podcast. And, uh, I was like, oh really? And, uh, he's like, yeah, everybody's doing them these days. I love you asked, did you see any instruments? Did you see a fucking guitar? There's shit down here, man. It's like my computer. Like, obviously, I mean, maybe I'm making beats or something. You thought I was doing that. I don't know. The producer, Danny, do you write your emails down there? Cause you are very consistent with the emails as well. Yeah, no, uh, I try not to actually, cause I don't like to be in the basement longer than I need to. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, I come down here if I need to section myself off from everything else. When we built it, uh, we actually put like super thick, like over-engineered, uh, drywall in that's like fire resistant, but it's also like pretty noise resistant. So we built it specifically for that, but it, it's just, it's, 
it's fairly dark in comparison mm-hmm, to, you mm-hmm. know, uh, my front porch. So like I'll go sit on my front porch and type up most of the emails that I do, oh. unless the weather's terrible. Um, oh, I just yeah. prefer to be outside in some way. If I have to be ball and chain to a computer, I'll rather be outside than inside. Uh, makes total sense. Yeah. I want to stick with the, um, the email writing and kind yeah. of content creation theme, because you are not technically like an online brand. You have one, like you have a, an online yeah. presence, but you are running your masterminds. There's a large in-person component. Yes, you can do the calls and stuff remotely, but what what drove you to wanting to what drove you to want or believe it was valuable to create this content, to create this email that you're very, very regular with, to create the podcast? How did you see that helping what you did? What you yeah, do? That's a great question because um we talk a lot about content. I mean, it's, it's a broad term, right? I mean, it could be Instagram posts, like, like a lot of, you know, what you teach. Um, it it can be podcasting, it can be writing a blog, it can be a YouTube channel. I mean, there's so many different things out there. Right. And what I first, uh, noticed was, you know, I got, I started doing content, YouTube and blog articles for our practice. Um, so we just were creating a bank of videos for people that, you know, we were working with that we could send us home exercises. And, um, I was creating blog posts because, uh, I had just read that that helps with, you know, people, you know, getting, getting traction to go to your website. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just writing a blog, uh, usually every, I think I did it every week for, uh, um, for a year. And oh, wow. so we had, we had a decent amount and I guess it helped. I actually don't know much about that. I just did it cause I read it and I was like, all right, well, I guess okay. we have to do this now. And <laughs> that's what I did. Uh, you know, so, but, but with, with the podcast in particular, um, the whole point of the doc and job podcast. Uh, it had nothing to do with business. It just had to do with, I have this, I have this friend, Joe Shamanic, who lives, um, he lives in Washington state now, but he, his wife and I went to physical therapy school together. So she's still in the, in the army. She's a badass, And she, but the problem is, um, the army moves you around all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were stationed in Hawaii or uh, San Antonio together and then in Hawaii. And then when I moved uh, to Columbus, Georgia, his family got moved to Columbia, South Carolina. And so we were fairly close and we would see each other, you know, uh, uh, from time to time, but we would talk, uh, pretty regularly about strength and conditioning and physical therapy and like the, the gray area in between, um, mm-hmm. that we kind of were so fascinated with. And, uh, and we just decided, you know what? I mean, we're talking anyway. We might as well record this like this. You know, we, we listened to yeah. like the Rob Wolf podcast and we're like, oh, Rob Wolf did this. All right. Um, let's, that's the first one I ever heard. So I, uh, you know, we started doing that and it was just, you know, just trying to figure out, okay, Skype and these, these shitty little microphones that we had. And then um, what we found was everybody said yes when we'd ask them to be on our podcast. It was the craziest thing. Everybody. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, we talked to some really prolific people in the strength and conditioning yeah. space, uh, over the course of a couple of years. And the only reason that we continued to do it was because we were learning so much from doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was selfish in a lot of ways. I, I just wanted to do that. We didn't know anything about like monetizing it or building a company or, uh, or whatever. So what I noticed though, was I started to kind of run out of things to talk about and, yeah. People were asking me questions about our practice, um, and I didn't know if it'd be relevant or not, but I just needed to fill some podcast time with uh, answering some questions with content. So I did that, and every time I would do that, I would get a rash of people that would like email me or message me on social media, um, and 
they, they were very responsive to it more so than anything else that, that we had. Uh, and that's when I thought, you know, um, I get people that reach out to me just on a regular basis anyway, maybe I can start putting some of my, you know, thoughts on business out there and I'll give it, I always tr try to give a project a year. So I was like, all right, I'll do this for a year. And I actually kept doing the doc and jock podcast the whole time as well. And, uh, eventually the, the business podcast just got so, uh, it, it started to pick up so much steam and wow. I started to have so many people requesting, like doing work with me that I ended up having to trim down, um, the other podcast. And actually, I think this is a really hard lesson for people when they start to get busy is removing things from your life is tough. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. especially with your friends, like, you know, the guy I was doing yeah. the podcast with Joe, like he's one of my best friends. That's a hard thing to do to, to be like, dude, we can't, we can't do this anymore. And we had like some decent steam. We had built 50, 60,000 downloads a month on that podcast, yeah, damn. but we just didn't really have a clear path to make it worth our time. Yeah. Um, versus I felt like, you know, the, the, the business side, uh, I had people that were actively reaching out as well as I, I thought that, uh, the impact would be, would be bigger in regards mm -hmm. to helping practice owners, grow a successful business and more importantly, hire other PTs. Cause I looked at it like every, every practice that we help grow to be able to hire other PTs is like one PT saved from a shitty mill job. And so that's what I did. And in, you know, it just sort of has, uh, snowballed to where we are today, but, but the intent was, was really that, you know, and it was just originally just putting my thoughts out there. There's, it's not like I had some grand plan where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to start this podcast and then I'm going to springboard this into this completely right. other pod, you know, broadcast niche and start a business off of that. It had nothing to do with that. It just was originally a way for us to keep in touch and just learn from other people. Cause they kept saying yes to us interviewing. And yeah. if we had asked to just talk to them, they'd have been like, hell no, get the hell out of here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is the truth. Sure. I tell anyone, they want to connect with people. They want to speak to people, start a podcast. People I agree. Yes. I, I, and and even that. locally, like we see this locally too. I can't tell you how many people that we work with that have started local podcasts and they're like, I couldn't get into this physician's office to, for anything. You know, like I'll bring the greatest mm -hmm. cookies to their office, nothing. <laughs> and, but if they ask them to be on their local podcast, they say, yes, they move shit out of the way to say, yeah, because they're like, they think it's, you know, I don't know, Bad. like this prolific podcast is they're going to yep. be on. It doesn't matter if it is or not, they're going to say yes. So it can be a really good local marketing tool as well. Yeah, no, I love that as an idea for the, the local traffic, despite the the best, I, I'm laughing at the best cookies. Like, I remember that yeah. model of like, go to the doctor's office with them. I'm like, this is the worst. So bad, know. right? It's just so <laughs> uncomfortable. And they don't want you to be there. No. You don't want to be there. They're busy. And somehow some somebody along the way decided that that was like the local marketing strategy that was going to work. Just like show up with some cookies and hope somebody has a conversation with you. Like, I don't understand that one bit. And then frankly, it makes me, it, it, I feel like it makes us feel uh, subservient in some way. Like it's yeah. really shitty. And I never understood that mentality because when I, when I was in the army, you only feel subservient to someone who rank outranks you, right? And, mm -hmm. Which could be a lot of people, but it doesn't matter. I worked with many physicians. They were captains and I was a captain and like, we're on the same page, man. Like it's, you know, we're just, we're all the same rank professionals. Like this is just yeah. what I do. And this is what you do. And it's very different. When I came out of the military, I just found it so weird. And I just could not force myself to do that. I was like, not doing it. Anything besides this. This is, was the worst. I'm like, remember being in New York city and like walking around and like taking the subway to do this. And I was like, this is the least efficient use of my time. And I also hate this. And I think this does not work at all. 
what are, what are you recommending, Danny, for, because I have a lot of questions and a, a few different ways I want to take this, this episode, but what are you recommending, aside from a, a local podcast, which I love that idea, yeah. for local marketing? Yeah, local marketing is one of those things that is just just so important for, um, you know, for really any kind of practice, uh, any really any kind of service-based local business. And, you know, what, what we see that, that works is the same stuff that's worked for forever, you know, like ever mm -hmm. since there's been mm -hmm. businesses. So getting involved with other business owners is a really good way of going about that. That could be, you know, literally just going and meeting your neighbors, you know, going and talking to people, um, you know, going from <clears throat> one person, you know, to a warm introduction to another and just getting your your name out there and starting to network with other people. It could be joining a formal group like a BNI group or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and some some of those are great. Some of those are, are a waste of time. It really depends on on the the group uh, more than anything else, which can be a little bit hit or miss. Um, after that, it's education is still one of the most powerful things that we see on a local basis, right? So if you can get out and you can teach, you can do workshops, um, you can do like screenings at, at gyms or, or wherever your target audience is. So you're a running, you know, a specific PT and you go to running shoe store and you do some movement screens and stuff like that. Like those things still kill it. I had somebody that just messaged me today. They went and they did, uh, they did a workshop, um, for the shoulder at a, just a boutique gym. They had uh, 12 people there and seven of them signed up for evals. And I'm like, okay. What? Uh, yeah. I mean, look, if you, if you run them correctly, the, the problem is most people that are doing any type of education event, they're trying to teach people as if they're teaching other clinicians. And it's really not a great mm -hmm. way to go about it. Like they're, they're citing randomized control trials for God's sakes. It's oh like, my goodness. what are you doing, dude? Immediately Nobody no. knows what that is. That's, that's not in the healthcare field. Right. So, you know, what we like to do is try to be very simple uh, try to clarify things and try to teach people stuff that shows them that they can, you know, make a positive change in their own body, which really, you know, is going to have something to do with uh, a test retest of some sort mm -hmm. so they can see a change. And we know it's transient, but that person to them, they're like, holy crap, that actually made me feel better. Uh, no one's done that, you know, yep. and, and they'd yep. see it and they did it to themselves even better. They're like, oh my God, what if I work with this person? Imagine what, what how, how much better it would be. Yep. So that, that's still a really big one. Um, but on the local side, and this is something that you just, like, you can't get away from this. Like you have to be really good at what you do, not necessarily yes. clinically. That is a check the box. I assume you are a good clinician if you're mm -hmm. willing to go into business for yourself. And if you're not, you're probably going to have a hard time being in business for yourself you because you're just not going to get outcomes. But that's an assumption. But the thing that uh, I think separates people is the experience somebody has while they're there. I'll give you a really good example. So we had our staff meeting on Monday. And one of the things that we do, and uh, we really honestly should do even more of, is try to try to think of intentional things we can do for people that work with us. So one of our staff PTs, I brought this up and I was talking about um, the book, The Power of Moments, and the, how customer experience really dictates whether your business is going to be successful or not. And uh, one of our PTs said, you know what? One of my patients, um, her mom just died. And I know what her favorite flower is. So we ordered her whatever that flower was. I can't wow. remember what it was. Um, sent it to her. And uh, just, you know, sorry for your loss, you know, just like a, just, just something you would yeah. do, you know, for uh, a family member, if, if they had, you know, a, a, you know, somebody in their family died and, yeah. uh, like little things like that, uh, it's just so easy to just like, not even 
follow through on that or not think that that's going to make that much of a difference. But imagine that's you and you're, or or like, you're just at the gym that you go to, let's say you, you have someone that in your family that dies and they send you your favorite flowers and just, you know, we're sorry for your loss. Like that, that no one does that. And we're not doing that necessarily because it's the best thing for business. It's going to help with that for sure. But that's just like a really different way that we can maintain and develop relationships with people we're trying to help long-term. And Absolutely. it's frankly, I think like the right thing to do for people. So we, we just, we talk about that and we talk about ways that we can create, um, you know, a special moment for them and, uh, and, and make it unique. It can't just be, everybody gets a Starbucks gift card. Like, yeah. you know, that it, it has to be more than that. And that requires a hell of a lot more thought and, um, you know, knowing somebody better than that. Yeah. I, I feel like people listening to this mainly because we we live in the digital world now, digital age now, and every the words we always hear is scale, 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 right. and that's something that clearly does not scale. And you just nailed it. You're like, and we can't just send something to every to everyone. Do you have? And maybe it's the fact that you have these month, you know, weekly meetings. But do you have a system that, or maybe someone that's even in charge of customer experience? That like, how do you keep on top of this? Yes, you know. I'm fortunate because, you know, Ashley, uh, my wife runs the day-to-day stuff w- along with uh, one of our uh, staff PTs who kind of took over my role, uh, Jake. He he does a lot of like the um is he the one that looks side. like you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes people confuse us if if, I, if my beard is a little bit longer. Yeah, yes, <laughs> it's funny. It is the true though. But uh, you know, the the thing with uh, with him is like he's done a great job stepping in and, and with local marketing relationships, and he's taken over our podcast locally, um, as well as just like helping train our staff up continually on sales and some of the things we have to stay on top of. Um, but but Ashley really runs all the operations stuff, you know, within the business, and she's the person that's that's on top of it with that. And and I mean, I think it's little things like that, uh, that, that make a difference. It's getting back to people in a timely manner. Um, you know, like just really being intentional about their time and making sure you follow through on the things that you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do them. Uh, that's something that's totally free. Everybody can do, but it's not easy. And it's so easy to just like, you know, drop the ball here or there, but like, that's not going to really give you the best reputation Mm long-term. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what we see is, and everybody wants, everybody wants like the quick fix, right? They're like, tell me yep. the Facebook ad that's going to get me 20 new patients. <laughs> well, and, and, and there's definitely things out there that can drive people your way, but if they're driving somebody your way and you don't, you don't have a really well-run efficient machine that you're putting them into where you're going to get outcomes as well as amazing customer experiences, which are going to turn into more people, uh, you're, you're missing so much, so much lifetime value. It's exponential in comparison to the front end revenue you might get from a successful yeah. ad campaign. And that's what we really want people to understand is like, you have to build a really rock solid business and, and you want to scale a rock solid business. You don't want to scale a shitty business because, yep. you know, because then you're, you're just, literally, you're going to give yourself so many more problems to get frustrated. Then you'll probably just decided to re- retract and not want to do it anymore. Uh, makes total sense. With that in mind, Danny, uh, and scaling and having a rock solid business. Do you you have one location? Right. Is there more than one? Is there more than one location? We had a couple satellite offices that uh, were in other gyms, and we ended up one. We ended up closing down um, around uh, COVID, like during the middle of mm-hmm. that. 
and we were able to just like decrease our overhead. And the other one, it wasn't, we actually liked it, but the problem was the gym, uh, was owned by a, a functional medicine doc and her schedule just got so crazy that she eventually just, um, had to use the office that we were in for oh. another provider. And, uh, and we kind of saw it coming. We were like, man, she's going to go gangbusters. And mm -hmm. she did. So what we, we have now, we have one office, which is honestly way easier to run. It's so much more yeah. efficient. Everybody's in one place. Um, our problem is like we've been busting at the seams for a while and uh, commercial spaces is challenging around. It's a very residential area. It's a, it's a bubble area. If we go outside of it, we'll lose some of our, um, some of our customers. And the mm -hmm. other thing too is uh, this isn't even what, I mean, I don't really spend too much time on our practice at all. I mean, I might, I think this year I've probably been there six times and once was for a Bob Ross painting event. <laughs> like, I saw that lecture. Yeah. I was like, Oh, look at what they did. Dude, it was super fun. If anybody <laughs> is thinking about doing that, like find a Bob Ross certified instructor and do a, do a painting event like with your buddies, it's so damn fun. It was, it was a blast. Uh, but I'm, I'm not up there very much. Right. And you know, with, with the practice, the way that it is, it's very, it's very hands-off. It's very profitable. It's very streamlined. Um, and it's something that we test a lot of things for, uh, for PT biz within. And so I almost use it more. It's more valuable for me in that capacity than it is, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, to try to do, to do anything else with not, not to say that it's not a great business. It, it really is a, it's a great business. Um, but it allows me access to test things that then I can share with everybody else in our community in, in a much faster manner. Yeah. I was wondering, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on, one, you know, it's, it all comes down to what's your enough and what your goals. And for some people, they want to have like, you know, a zillion offices. That sounds right. very overwhelming to me. But yeah. yeah, I was wondering, you know, your thoughts on was there ever a time when you were like, yeah, I want to have like multiple. I know you had satellite offices, but was yeah. there ever a time where you're like, I want to open up multiple clinics or has this kind of been 100 percent? Totally. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I thought so originally I wanted to have um, about six standalone offices in the city of Atlanta. Wow. So, and I, I, I did all the research on demographics and areas I was going to put them in and all kinds of stuff. And we were using our office indicator as basically a model that we wanted to replicate in other mm -hmm. places. And we, we would have probably just be a slightly bigger location than where we are now. But, um, that footprint, I mean, real numbers, like people will talk about, you know, cash practices and, and, Oftentimes they say you can't scale it past yourself and, and, you know, whatever else, but legitimately, you know, in a small footprint, um, it's, it's, it's very possible in almost every demographic that we see to have, you know, between a 500,000 and million dollar gross revenue facility with really, if you're running it correctly, you should have probably, you know, if you include what you're paying yourself as a salary, mm -hmm. um, you should be somewhere around 30 to 40%, um, net, right? So wow. if, okay. if you have, let's say it's a $500,000 facility, you should be making $200,000 pre-tax. And, mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, for, for a lot of other businesses, they're not that profitable. Yep. Um, they're, you know, they, they run thinner margins than that. I, I know a lot of local business owners, especially if it's like product-based stuff and it's yeah, super that. thin margins and they need the scale and it's a very sketchy, um, business model. In my opinion, it's, it's very risky. So for us, and we see that and it's like, okay, you know, each of these locations can be a seven figure location times six locations. You know, what we want to do is really build like a, a, a big, uh, chain of practices then potentially even try to take that even further. But what happened was <clears throat> as I started, um, as I started helping other people with their business, 
I, I realized like my goal wasn't necessarily to just uh, grow this big business for the purpose of having a big business and and the revenue that comes along with that. Um, what I wanted to do was create as many jobs as I possibly could for clinicians where they could focus on working with people one-on-one -on -one and they could work in this sort of performance hybrid setting that I found so uh, just satisfying as in terms of like a career of working with people that way. And what I realized was, and this is sort of like knowing what what you want to accomplish. And I think you, you brought this up when we talked was you got to know what you want. Like, what do you, what are you driving towards? Like what, yeah. what's your goal and why is it important? And, you know, for me, the, the ability to provide as many, uh, jobs as possible for people to work with people in the right manner. And, and I, I guess more than anything, like not, uh, not wonder if they made the right decision by going to PT school. I think that happens yes. in our profession way too much, yes. you know, and it's, it sucks because it's a great job, but when you're sitting a couple hundred thousand dollars in the hole and you're going to make, you know, 70, $80,000 a year, like the math doesn't really add up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's sad that we're in that position to have such a, uh, just like personally rewarding profession. So, you know, we thought, all right, well, what if, what if, what if we can just like, you know, create as many jobs as possible where people are like, man, this is, this is an awesome job. I want to do this. I don't want to see 30 people a day. And it's, it's way less burnout. So as I looked at that and I realized like, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be under my banner per se. Right. And I looked at many different options, whether like franchising or, um, you know, just taking on, uh, funding partners and scaling that way. And what I thought was, uh, the, the best solution that was, uh, the gonna would scale quickly, but also um, was fair. Was not necessarily the franchise model, not necessarily me doing it all underneath our banner, but us taking what we learned and uh, packaging that up in a way that's much more like a white labeled sort of licensing agreement with mm -hmm. systems in place, and, and people can name their practice what they want, um, and and helping them achieve their own business goals because they're still going to be functioning in a similar manner. Um, so aside from, you know, my ego of not saying like, I have this number of employees, it's like, we work with this number of people and th these number of people have these number of employees. And the amount of people that we've been able to help hire other people is exponentially more than what I would have been able to do by myself in the totally. city of Atlanta, um, over the, the last few years. Totally, totally. That makes so much sense. So with that, Danny, you've worked with hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds, like I'm guessing like over thousands, honestly, of people now and opening their practices. You were you were successful, and no, you weren't successful right at the gate, but you have a six and you still have a successful practice. Yeah. This isn't the case for everyone. What would you say is like the number one reason that because in my opinion, like we don't have to hire people. They don't have to hire coaches. It can be helpful. I just did a podcast episode on this. Like there is a lot of value to it, but people can also succeed without this. But a lot of people are like really, really struggling without this guidance. What have you seen is like, the, what's the number one reason that people are struggling? Well, I, I think it's because they don't know how to manage themselves. Um, mm. and yeah, I, I it's funny. It's like, I used to think it was all tactical things mm -hmm. and I think that uh, most people early on in their in their career, uh, in business at least, they think it's tactical. They're like, oh, I just need, tell me what to say here. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me what to write here. Tell me what ad to run there. Or what's the magical thing that I need to know that's going to change everything. And 
the reality is there's no, nothing like that exists. I mean, certain things work better than others. Um, and you can definitely, uh, speed up the, the learning curve, uh, uh, of success. I mean, to give you an example, like we, we have uh, countless examples of people that have gone to $20,000 a month in, in gross revenue in their cash practice by month four. And for me to get to that point, it took me 22 months. So, you know, like they're just so much faster, so much more speed, so much more scale that, that, that we're seeing now than, than ever before. But ultimately what happens and everybody goes through this, and I'm sure you've probably had some variation of this as well, is that you end up, um, just crushing yourself. You burn yourself out. You're stressed all the time. Um, you're working all the time. Uh, you're, you know, you're, you're doing it because, you, you want to be successful, but there's also like a strong fear component there where you don't want to fail mm-hmm. and look like a failure to everybody around you. Um, because you know, we care what other people think. So that creates a lot of stress in people's, in people's lives as they go into business for themselves. And this obviously, it sounds like a little bit sort of high level and, and not necessarily applicable to everybody, but I'm telling you, everybody is going to have to deal with whether they can manage themselves as just a, a human being in a, yeah. a stressful environment, and then be able to also be present around the people that they, you know, tell themselves they're doing all this work for, which is where where we usually are, and that's usually the people that we prioritize the least because we're so busy trying to do these other things. So what we tend to find is like this this idea that you have to figure it out all by yourself. I, I'm fine with that. I had to do a lot of that myself too, but I also almost like. I was very unhealthy. I had a terrible relationship with my wife and kids and I sure as hell would go back and just be like, dude, I will give you money if you just tell me what to do Mm -hmm. so I can avoid that shit. And, uh, and you know, and, and nothing existed. So, you know, for, for a lot of people like, yes, there's, there's plenty of systems that, that kill it. And absolutely we help people make, um, more money than, than they ever thought they could in the profession. That's the reality. Like that's, that has to be there. Otherwise the risk isn't worth it, but more than anything, what we help people do is enjoy the success, enjoy the, the, the ride and, you know, develop personally so that they are they're, they're, They get out of what they should, which is they're a better person because of all of the uh, experiences they have to go through in entrepreneurship. And on the other side, not only are they, you know, financially successful, but they are successful people with the people that matter the most to them. And I, I think people don't actually understand what I'm talking about until they have experienced some pain in that entrepreneurial world. And when they have, they know exactly what I'm talking about and why it's so valuable to avoid that and work past that. Within the the mastermind that you're running, what, I want to say systems, because I'm like thinking about ease and I'm like, systems, what, uh, what do you do to address this? Because you do talk about, uh, the logistical side of things and having systems and having scripts and all these other things are very tactical. But if this is one of the biggest reasons that people don't succeed, how does, what does that look like within a uh, PT entrepreneur mastermind yeah. to, to help folks? I love it. So, so what happens is, you know, we draw people in with the business side of things, uh, because to your point, Yes, we have every system that you would possibly need. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, we have an entire assessment that people go through that is about a hundred uh, point assessment um, with your business. And depending on how you score on there, we have corresponding redirected um, links to all the content, all the resources that you need to bolster and improve those areas. So, mm-hmm. like, it's 
highly organized, packaged up, write everything that everybody needs. You just need to know what you suck at. And then once you know that, now you know exactly what to improve. The other thing for us that's that um, really drives a lot of, of this success with people is that the fact that they are around other people. So they are in a small group of entrepreneurs that they are assigned to with a coach every single month. They're working with them. Um, and the goal is, yes, we want to know business stuff that's going on, but we also want to talk about some personal stuff that's going on. And even with our assessment, there's a whole personal assessment in there as well. And, and people will like legitimately break down going through some of these assessments because they're just like, yeah. I scored so bad on <laughs> these things, like simple, simple things. Like, are you taking care of yourself? Do you have any idea how many people in the health entrepreneur space are taking dog shit care of their own physical yep. health and they know better yep. than most people? Like, yep. It's so many, but no one ever calls you out on that shit. No yep. one ever says you're doing the wrong thing in a, in a positive way, not necessarily mm -hmm, making yeah. you feel bad about yourself, but like, dude, you're be better than this. You know, that that's what we get a chance to do. So, you know, all the systems, all this, all that stuff is, is, um, is there. And we constantly are improving and refining that because Originally, it was everything from from my practice, and then we took the things that Eve was doing, what I was doing, and then we we meshed them together and we revised it. And now we have, you know, I think we're at like 170 businesses that we're working with wow. that we now get information from of what's working. Oh, this worked great for me, or this new thing's here, or I am doing this a little differently. I think this is better. And then we basically just take that and we make it better every time. So we have different iterations of what's working, and it's almost like we have 170 location franchise that we get to, uh, take best practices with and then share that with everybody. Yet we own none of their businesses. So it's, I think it's kind of the best of both worlds, but the personal side of things, it's just interesting. Most people do not want to get, go there when they first start, but they get there pretty quickly. Cause they realize like, Whoa, there's a lot more to be gained here in many areas, including business success, but also in success out of that, which if, if you fail everywhere else and your business is successful, that's the worst failure in my opinion. Yeah. It's almost like, is it successful then? It's the greatest failure. <laughs> it's the worst. Like, uh, Danny, what, given all these people that you're talking to, uh, immediately as you're saying all of this, uh, Sean Pest, Dr. Sean Pestuch, Courtney, if you could link that episode, thank you. Yeah. Uh, he comes to mind and uh, he works with now, like, they're mostly like gym owners. They're not actually, he's like, he's a Cairo, but he's not really working with people that are in the, the healthcare sector if you will right and he has a lot of gym owners who he interacts with on social media who seemingly opened a gym because they wanted to do things their way and then they realized that they didn't actually want to open a gym because they're like but i wanted to be training people like i don't actually want to be doing all the logistical things what have you found is the the main reason that people are opening practices. So for anyone that's listening to this, like something to think about before they go and open it, because maybe yeah. they just actually want to work for somebody else in a really good setting, not sure. actually, you know, open their own. So what have you found is why people are opening and what do you recommend is like the best reason for opening a practice? Well, I don't think everybody should open a practice. In fact, yeah. I think it's a very certain, like a certain personality type that totally. will succeed with that. Um, you know, it, it's, and, and there's, we need like, clinical experts, you know, like yes. that just want to focus on that. Yes. And, and, and honestly, I, it, in some ways it's, I'm like envious of them. Cause like, it's like, okay, you can, you can just be okay with being awesome at this. And then you have like hobbies and shit outside of this. Like, that sounds awesome. That sounds nice. Like you like photography. Cool. Like you go in you, and you don't think one bit about, you know, 
your your work environment while while you're going and shooting pictures of birds on the weekend. You know, I don't know. Like, I think that's that's great, and we, and that's that, that's that seems like people are you know very content and happy with that. So not everybody. I'm not saying everybody needs to go and start a business, but if you if if you feel this desire to uh, to see what you can do on your own, I it's not going to go anywhere. Like, I think that's what people have to realize too. It's like you're going to have to scratch that itch eventually, or you're probably going to feel a lot of regret one day. And most people are starting practices typically for one of two reasons. Number one, and this is just a burden on the profession. They have massive student debt and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they almost don't have a choice, but to be successful in order to pay that shit off. And I've literally talked to many people where that's the case. They're like, dude, I don't have a choice, but I need to make twice what I'm making now to really be able to pay this off and it not just be this you know, crazy debt um, that, that I'm dealing with the rest of my life. Um, and, and anybody that hasn't re- listened to that, uh, Ramit uh, Seti podcast, the I, I Will Make You Rich um, guy uh, with the two physical therapists that, uh, that are in debt like, uh, and talking about all the problems with it, like, I would totally go and listen to yeah. that. That's a really good episode. They'll give you a very transparent insight into the profession and what they're dealing with and what you probably are thinking yourself. They lay out there and they talk about. So, you know, th- that's one, they, they, they just feel like there's, there's no opportunity to make what they need to make in order to, to deal with the debt that they have. The other thing is, I think that people get frustrated within um, practices and they do want to do things on their own. You know, Mm -hmm. they see the way things are being run. They're like, man, I feel like we should do it this way or this way. They get no sort of um, back and forth. There's no leeway with the the owners of what they're going to do. And uh, they want to do things differently and they want to test that out and be creative and just see what they can do. And that is another one that I think is a very that's frankly a very positive reason why uh, people do that. They, they want to see, you know, if they take their vision and make it a reality. Um, so th- those tend to be the biggest ones that I see. One is sort of from a negative place, you know, where it's like, I've just saddled with debt and I, I have no other choice. And the other one is, dude, I, I think I can make this better. I think I can, you know, have a model that makes, you know, helps people get better results and uh, potentially, hopefully puts them in a happier place too, where they, they have more satisfaction with how they're working with people. Um, you know, and I think that second group would probably stay in a practice if given the right circumstances. That, that was really me. Like I, I wanted to uh, just work with people a certain, in a certain way. And I yeah. couldn't find anything existed. So because of that, I had to create the thing that I, that I was trying to, uh, you know, to, to work for. Yeah, it makes total sense. What have you found, and you you started speaking about this in the beginning, that it's not for everybody. In terms of like personality type, in terms of, yeah, we'll just start with that. In terms of personality type, what have you found kind of lends itself to the being more successful within starting your own practice, running your own business? Yeah, there is definitely there are definitely some natural attributes that I think do better than others. Um, what we have noticed, people that are just very introverted, I'm pretty damn introverted, but I can also force myself to go do yeah. shit that I need to outside exactly. of uh, outside of my basement. And, uh, you know, I think that for a lot of people, they get they get very scared by um, being rejected by people in person. And um, so, you know, they decide, all right, I'm going to go into business for myself. They get themselves a little subleased office, but then they, they, they're unwilling to do any sort of local marketing because of fear of being turned mm-hmm. down by people mm-hmm. or fear of things maybe being not going the way they want or an awkward interaction or whatever. And because of that, um, they, they're very slow to gain traction and they could even be amazing clinicians and oftentimes are really good clinicians, but the lack of a local, you know, awareness, uh, local marketing in particular, 
um, that that really is 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 hard for uh, for them to to build to the number of people they need to have a mm-hmm. to have a viable business. Um, so so I definitely see that as somewhat of a drawback. Now the caveat to that: these same people, if if they can get past that and they can sort of like break out of it and and uh, improve that one area, they actually tend to be the most successful um, clinic owners at scale because for the negative of like being more introverted and not necessarily wanting to be more forward facing, they're typically very organized systems driven people that do really well when they have other people involved in what they're doing. This is, this is somebody that probably would be a really good manager. They're following systems really well. They just, eventually they have to kind of work past that to get to the point where they're in their sweet spot. You cannot avoid that initial um, part of the business. So Mm -hmm. people that are naturally a little more um, outgoing or they are, naturally just a little bit better at selling themselves um, and connecting with people, they tend to just crush it early on. Um, you know, if they, if they have that plus a niche that is, uh, you know, is, is, is a good niche in their area and even a, a couple local connections, um, you get somebody that's a little more, you know, like they're good in front of people. They like to educate people. They're pretty naturally good at sales. They feel comfortable with themselves. They're, they're pretty confident um, without being arrogant. And, those, those folks, like they, they can scale like crazy. It's, and I can pick them out at this point. Like I've worked with so many people. I'm like, Oh fuck, here it goes. This guy's going to hit 10 K in month two and make me look bad because I didn't do it in for a year. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) like, but that's the case. And and I see it, uh, over and over again. And there's a lot of people like that out there. So, you know, that can be their, that can be their, their superpower, but that same person. And if you're listening to this and this is you, you're going to suck when you have employees. And the reason why is mm. you don't like systems. You don't like, uh, like managing people. You don't like consistency. You like variation and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. So, so what happens to be your superpower early on tends to be your kryptonite and vice versa. So what, what's interesting is we get to see it on both sides and they kind of all come to an head when they try to scale past themselves, which is a very difficult thing to do in this type of business. That is so interesting. Can you keep going with that, Danny, in terms of that person that is so charismatic that you know can scale themselves yeah. uh, and do well financially like that, but then it's like, oh, I want other people, but also this is really hard. What oh, yeah. what what do they do? Well, it's like, so imagine, um, and we talked about this, right? Like the 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 people that are great athletes tend to be kind of shitty coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you mm-hmm. know, Michael Jordan was not a good coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you get somebody like Coach K, who was a great coach, but wasn't like the greatest basketball player in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, but was fascinated with the fundamentals and the things like that. So, you know, those folks, what, what ends up happening is they tend to get busy really fast. Um, and then and then it's they're just super time poor and they're not very well organized. Um, they're just kind of doing everything differently all the time. And there's no consistency. Now, if you want to stay in a lifestyle business and probably like, let's say you could you could probably hover depending on where you're located, somewhere between 15, maybe $25,000 a month, that would be like in a bigger, a bigger city. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely sort of 15 to $25,000 a month gross revenue. So you, you're not taking all that home, but yeah. the vast majority of it pre-tax. Um, and you just want to stay there. Like that kind of person can be fine there and maybe have like a part-time admin that helps them with some things. But when you go to try to scale past yourself, the people that you're hiring, they're probably not you. And if they are, they're probably not staying very long because yeah. you're not giving them totally. any structure. You're not giving them any uh, guidance or mentorship. And if they're like down to figure it out on their own, why wouldn't they just go do that shit yep. on their own? You know, yep. so you have to create an environment that somebody wants to work within that feels supported, that can grow and it has consistency. Like they need 
consistency. It's like a dog, right? It's like if you're training your dog and you're inconsistent, they ain't going to listen to you. But if you are consistent and you follow through on things, all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, he came back to me when I called him. Like, yeah, because you're giving him a treat every time he does it. You know, like you're, you're reinforcing (laughs) a behavior. So the same thing has to happen with people that we work with. You have to have repeatable systems and shit like that. If you're this kind of person, because I'm this kind of person makes your head hurt. So you have to either like learn this, be okay with that, bring other people on that you can help like um, offload this stuff to, um, you know, or, you know, decide to stay small because you're going to keep running into the same problem of you not being willing to scale because you're not willing to organize yourself and build past, past yourself. And that takes you evolving your personality, which is hard to do. Yes, that right there. I think you and I are very similar in that. And you can be charismatic and you can absolutely sell things and people want to be around you. But then you're like, if I try to make this bigger, I'm going to have to bring someone on or sit down and like wrangle myself and have systems for this because otherwise it's not possible. And that was definitely, I was in the second camp with like, all right, if I'm going to try and do other things, I'm going to, I like keeping things lean in terms of my team because of that. Yeah. Because it's just not the model, you know, that's a model that's easier for me. And so I was like, all right, I got to get some systems so that I can outsource some things largely because I hated doing them so much that I was like, well, let me get it together so that I can have someone else do this. What did you do, Danny? Did you, did you change things about yourself? Did you go and this is when you partner with other people? Well, I mean, I married someone that is, there's a, operationally driven person. So, you know, cause what happened to me, I got, I got busy. Um, you know, Ashley, we had two young kids, so she was, she was taking care of our, of our kids primarily. And I was gone a lot. I was teaching, I was constantly, you know, on the road. And, uh, and so we got to a certain point and, and she just started helping out because she could, she could just tell that I just was not, uh, number, number one, I wasn't very good at some of this stuff, but also mm-hmm. I just was like getting overwhelmed. And so, I mean, she sort of started helping out with that. And, and, um, you know, she's, she's very systems driven. She's very organized, um, which is, which is great. So that was a huge help for me. But what happened was I realized whether I like it or not, if, if I want to achieve the goals that I have, I have to improve in these areas. So I started, this is where I started to really invest in, uh, business, um, like masterminds and coaching and courses mm-hmm. and stuff like that, where I was really learning how to, uh, be more organized, how to, how to be better at operations, how to really enjoy data, how to really enjoy like tracking mm-hmm. things and creating structure and processes of documenting things of how things work. And now I actually really, you know, I wouldn't say like, it's my favorite thing to do, but I, the way I feel when I run a business that is, uh, you know, functioning correctly versus the way I felt when I was running a business by the seat of my pants and just like figuring shit out is night and day. And it's just, you know, and, and, and you may also like you have to decide what you want your life to look like and what you want the business to support because frankly the business should support your life not turn into your life which is a huge mm-hmm. mistake most people make that just turns into their life their whole life is that versus well what is this supporting outside of here like yeah. this is not this isn't where the greatest things in the world happen like this shit happens outside of your office so like figuring that out is important and and for me I felt very unsafe as a, the only provider uh, nobody else. If I got hurt, I was, yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen. So you either have to build past yourself to create, you know, non-direct revenue. I wouldn't say it's passive because you're still heavily involved or you have to try to create passive revenue in some other way. But that's hard to do. Cause you have to usually have a whole bunch of money yeah. to invest into something that creates <laughs> passive revenue, you know, exactly. or you have to try to figure out things that work that maybe create passive revenue on the tech side. People do this in a lot of different ways, 
but they're, they're very like, they're, they're not well proven and, and they can definitely go away quickly. Right. Absolutely. So, um, so for me, the, the path of safety was to move past myself. And I think for most clinicians, um, that's where they start to feel like they need to, to build past themselves is because if they're, if they get hit by a bus, like their business is gone. Um, yeah. it's just, it's, it's not necessarily a business. It's their employment at that point. They've created that job for themselves. They may love it, but there's nothing passive there. So there is some inherent risk. And for me with two kids, I just felt like I had to move past that. Ah, oh, that makes total sense. And I think that kind of brings up a point of, you know, we spoke earlier about certain things, characteristics that lend themselves to having more success and, you are very solution oriented and we share that. And I think that the person that is, let's say they are that charismatic person, that person that, you know, can sell themselves. If you also have that solution oriented trait, then suddenly you realize there's a problem. Right. And you're like, all right, what am I going to do about it? Like you can't ignore it no matter how much you like new things and how much you like to be kind of off the cuff. If you're like, there's a problem, yeah. then I need to solve it. And that, that makes total well, I, look, I think if you need, um, you know, some, s- some spice in your life, you shouldn't find it in your business. Uh, you, yes. you, you want to yeah. go, you want to like, you know, like these things that are unpredictable, you know, you like go, go do something like that, you know, go, whatever, go, go find a hobby that involves that. Um, you know, you, you definitely, it's so much better to have predictability in your business. And this is where being self-aware comes into play too. And yeah. one of the reasons I constantly talk to people about like, you know, yeah, you got into entrepreneurship because you thought you're, you know, you were going to start a business and maybe you had these aspirations of making a certain amount of money or, you know, building a certain type of business and, you know, the, the, the positives that come along with that. But quickly, you're going to realize that this is just like the, one of the greatest tests in personal development that you can put yourself into. And, you know, you have to be self-aware enough to know that you are not good at something and Mm -hmm. humble enough to admit that you suck at it and to find some help from it. And this is where, you know, ironically, a lot of the people that we work with are very much like me, where they have to go through the grinder of just trying to do things on their own because they're, they're stubborn like I am. And they, you know, they, they've, they've been high achievers their whole life and they've figured this shit out, you know, over and over and over again. And, uh, and you know, and then they ultimately, they realize like, Whoa, this is hard. There's gotta be a better way. And, uh, you know, it's, and, and, and then we get a chance to help them, uh, you know, achieve that very rarely is it somebody straight from the get go. And they're like, you know what? I, uh, I, I want to do this the efficient way, not necessarily the hardest way. Um, the only people we see that do that to, to be honest with you is people that have kids. Oh, makes sense. Cause they don't want to screw it up. They're like, yeah. I, listen, I don't have, I don't have the opportunity to be wrong here. So, yeah. you know, I need, I need help. I don't know this stuff. You guys like help me here. I'm a great clinician and they, they tend to kill it because they have a lot of reasons. They go home and whatever, however many kids they have or whoever's looking back at them, they're just like, oh, here's my, here are my reasons for why I'm having to do all this uncomfortable work that is necessary. That makes so much sense. That, I wouldn't have thought about that, but that, yeah, that makes so much sense. So much sense. Danny, can you speak? To, I mean, I know this episode has been really heavy on the business side of things, which I didn't intend, but we're going with the flow. And so that in mind, I we did have a question. Uh, I put up a question box on my Instagram and someone asked a business, a, uh, a cash PT business question. And I was like, well, hold that thought because I got my guy coming on in, uh, in a few weeks. So I'll ask it now. Cool. Uh, and the person just asked about kind of pros and cons versus pros and cons of a cash-based model versus an insurance-based model or even a hybrid model. Yeah. I think there's pros and cons to all of them. I mean, I'm not, I'm not 
opposed to insurance by any means. The problem is the very few of them reimburse mm-hmm. um, enough to where you can you can see people without having a, a really high volume. Um, you know, so if you want a very very scalable business that um, the margins aren't going to be as great uh, early on, but will will be will be you know way higher uh, as you get bigger then you know the insurance side of things is is a good place to start there's way more complexity there there's way more that you have to deal with from a regulation standpoint and um you don't really control what you can and can't charge i guess some do but they have to be really big and they can throw their weight around none of us are anywhere near there uh you know i'm talking like massive practices mm-hmm. so and and there's a reason why high volume exists and it's not just because people that do that are jackasses it's because yeah. uh they have to in a lot of ways, yep. you know, and, and I get it. And I really feel bad for, um, in network practices that are, that are smaller practices, you know, one, maybe two, you know, clinics and they see their, their reimbursement go down every year. Uh, and they have to figure out what to do with that. So, you know, the, the volume side of things is where they can typically make up for it. Um, and their providers, you know, they, they get frustrated with that and burnt out and I've been there and it's, it's a hard environment to work in for a long period of time. So, um, but if you want to sell your, your clinics for like a hundred million dollars one day, that's the path. Like you can't, mm-hmm. I don't really see that happening in um, a cash practice. It would be very hard. You have to be huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in a, in a different model you could, but um, so I think the scale is way bigger there. Now, if you look at the hybrid model, I actually think a hybrid model is, is a really, really solid business model, especially if you have a few insurances that are reimbursing well. And we, mm-hmm. we actually work with quite a few hybrid practices. Um, in certain states, they still have pretty good reimbursement um, you know, with certain insurances. But what it allows you to do is still see a, a decent number of post-ops, which is very good for that stabilizing part. your volume. Um, you know, and maybe you decide you want to take Medicare. If you're in Florida or in like a, you know, Arizona or something, you have, you know, a a high Medicare population that might just be what's best for your business. Now you're going to have to deal with some additional paperwork and documentation and all of that. And, um, you know, just with insurance in general. So there's some negatives that come along with it, but it's definitely more scalable, um, faster than a cash practice is. You can grow it more. You can definitely hire more people on because you have the volume from, you know, the, the insurance, and then you have, you have the profitability and the speed of payment from cash. So your accounts receivable aren't killing you, which is a real problem for a lot of in-network practices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I think it's a combination of uh, the, uh, the two works really well. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of hybrid practices, um, you know, and then a cash practice. What's so great about that is just very simple. Um, you know, you don't have this excessive documentation. You don't have to ask permission from insurance companies. They can't change the rules on you. Uh, you know, you can charge what you're worth. You can define who you want to work with. You can make it whatever you want it to look like. A lot of the the cash practices that we work with now, many of them are trending towards basically standalone facilities that are cash practices that happen to do some element of, um, you know, uh, fitness training or performance training as well. And that could be, you know, with, mm-hmm. with trainers that could be with, um, doing some semi-private stuff. Uh, maybe the PTs are teaching that this is what we do at our facility. Um, they, they have a component of remote uh, coaching with that as well. Many of them do. So what they're doing is they're basically bolting on uh, recurring revenue services to clients that are already willing to come in and pay cash. And they're getting these great recurring revenue streams uh, along with the new patients that are really more of like a bigger upfront payment and it's stabilizing uh, their revenue really well. I think if you look at purely um, profit on smaller businesses, I think cash is a better route. Uh, so okay. if you have one practice, you're going to be more profitable 
that way if you're in a smaller footprint and you don't want to manage as many people because you just don't have as much overhead. So mm -hmm. this is what, like, I get this all the time and people are just like, oh, I have a seven figure this or eight figure this. And, and I'm like, okay, well, like, what do you, what do you exactly. keep? You know, like I, I know people that own businesses that are, that are here in Atlanta and they, I mean, like I know a lady that she owns an $8 million a year business. Uh, and her net margins on that, like including what she pays herself is 10%. Now she makes $800,000 a year. She's very well off. There's no doubt she's killing yeah. it, but she has 90% cost exactly. in her business. And one little, dude, she's stressed all the time. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, our businesses are the, the model is very profitable. So, okay. um, if you don't want to have a big, you know, multi, multi-clinic, uh, footprint, I think a cash model is, um, way less headaches. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very stable in, um, basically any market. I mean, we, we, we've seen one of the worst markets ever with COVID and mm -hmm. cash practices did pretty damn well because people like the one-on-one -on -one and were able to do more remote stuff. So that would, that's what I would say the differences are. And it really depends on your goals of what the right fit is for you and uh, your lifestyle that you want, um, you know, to have, it's not all about money. You know, I think it, look at a certain amount, I don't know what the dollar amount is, but at a certain amount of money that you make, nothing really changes after that. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. in my opinion, I think you can just get marginally nicer shit, um, <laughs> or go marginally nicer places, but I'm happy in lots of places yeah. that aren't the nicest places. Yeah. And I feel uncomfortable in super nice places. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't base your decisions purely off of money. I think that's actually like not the best thing. You definitely need it, but it shouldn't be, Oh, I'm going to make a million dollars doing this. Or I'm going to, I'm only going to make $250,000 a year doing this. It's like, do you have any idea how much money that is? It's just a shitload mm -hmm. of money. Mm-hmm. Danny, I, you, I am cognizant of the time, but I'm going to just keep asking you a few more things. Yeah, you're uh, good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. As soon as I'm done here, I have to go help my kids out with something. So I'm down. Stay as amazing. long as I want. <laughs> amazing. Uh, I'm reading that book that you had recommended however many years ago when I crashed your, your oh, mastermind. Triple numbers? Yeah. So I'm reading that and they're talking about profit margins and you just brought that up. You know, she's at 10% here. What do you recommend? So in the book, it's like, if you're at five, like, that's terrifying. terrifying. Yeah. If you're at 10, okay, 15 is amazing. And then he's like, anything greater than 15, he was like, enjoy it. Cause it's not going to last long. But also right. this is one of the things I brought up with you that I think that that book has some flaws as it relates to depending on different models. Like, yes, he's talking largely about like, you know, uh, businesses that have products that they're selling and right. they're like looking $1 million to $5 million in revenue. So there's different things there, but what are you seeing with your own people? What are you recommending? You know, what is average profit margin? Yeah. So it depends on their stage of business. Um, and when I look at, when I look at it, I, I, you can look at it different ways. So the, the verbiage can be, can, can be confusing because some people will look at your net, your net mm -hmm. profit as what you keep, but they, they exclude your salary from that. Um, because as an investor, if somebody bought your business, for instance, they would have to replace that person. Yeah. So they really want to know what's your net minus owners, you know, compensation to replace mm -hmm. somebody. I don't really care about that. I, I'm not a you know private equity guy that's trying to buy businesses. Um, I, I I work with business owners that own them, and they take that money home. So when yeah. I look at net, I look at what they're what they're paying themselves and the the money that they have that's profit that um, is left over after expenses. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is a solo provider early on, they really should be somewhere in the 80% plus range as far as mm -hmm. what they're keeping. So, mm -hmm. you know, simple math, let's say you make $10,000 a month, you know, you really should be taking home $8,000 before taxes. Now, yeah. it wouldn't be the smartest idea to take all that money and spend it on your lifestyle <laughs> because we also recommend that you have three months of both personal and business 
um, expenses in, in an account. So in this case, if it was 20% and they were making $10,000 a month, then their overhead is $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. So they need to build a cushion of $6,000 in the business. And then whatever they're like, let's say it costs them $5,000 a month in living expenses. They need $6,000 in the business and $15,000 in a personal account to just put themselves in a place where then they can start to, um, you know, do other things. Right. So they need to have like some amount of a, a financial safety net. Uh, many people that we work with are actually more conservative than that. And they will have upwards of six months personal mm-hmm. and business. And if you went through, you know, 2020 with a service-based yep. business, you, you will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, is it, yep. it can be very sketchy. And, um, you know, so we're very conservative as far as that goes. Now at scale, what happens is we have growth cycles. So when, when you go to bring somebody on, um, inherently you're far less profitable for totally. a period of time until they start to, uh, build their, their revenue, um, you know, their, their service revenue up, uh, to where it, it pays for them and then they become a profitable employee. Um, then you also have, you know, people that are non-revenue producing, uh, em, you know, employees. So you, you're yep. going to have an administrative person, yep. that person is saving you a lot of time. So, you know, the stage where you go from yourself to yourself and one person in that business model is not the most profitable stage because, um, that first, first provider really isn't the most profitable because your fixed costs, including the administrative person, like those aren't going to change, uh, from one to maybe four providers. Um, so, you know, that first person is the least profitable. So you'll see your profitability probably, it'll probably drop. And some of it depends on how much you're doing. So let's Mm -hmm. say you're still Mm -hmm. seeing like a decent clip. Um, you should still be somewhere in the range of, 50% 50% uh, yeah. profit, um, you know, with, with somebody else um, in there. And then once you get, like, I really like this model um, of it's two providers and then the owner seeing a half schedule. Like okay. I could totally yeah. ride this out. Like this, I, this is like my backup, backup plan. I'll just go back to doing this, uh, you know, two, two providers and the owner seeing a half schedule. So you're still involved in clinic care. You got two people you can mentor, you can collaborate with, they get to see, you know, a decent uh, patient volume, not super high. You know, maybe they're seeing 25 to 28 visits a a week, um, you know, and, uh, and, and it's sustainable and they have a good work-life balance. As long as you have a decent price per session, you know, that's really, you're looking at legitimately like a 600, maybe, maybe $700,000 gross revenue practice, mm-hmm. um, with that. And at, at, even with you seeing half schedule, you should really still be somewhere in the range of, um, you know, probably 40% or so yeah. net. So, and that's a really, it's great. It's a really like enjoyable business to run, honestly. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not so big that you have a lot of risk, but mm-hmm. you're also talking about, I mean, as far as money goes, it was because obviously you need revenue in the business, but, uh, you know, for somebody to, to make in our profession, for somebody to make a quarter million dollars a year is unheard of yep, unless absolutely. Like, it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. I, and I, I know what I signed on for, man. I signed on to make 80 to a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's it. That's yep. it. I was cool with that. I actually yep. was like, dude, this is an awesome exchange for a cool job. Yep. It, I just, I just so happened. I end up where I am today. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 but I was totally fine with it. I, I think it's such an awesome profession, but imagine still being able to be involved in that profession, but then your compensation is so much more, which allows you to then do so much more for your family outside of the business as well. And, and that's just like, I think a pretty unique opportunity that we have with these businesses without, 
without having to try to become the next Elon Musk or something like that. Like you can just be a great provider and care about people in your local area and make, you know, three times what a staff, you know, clinician might make in a high volume clinic and be fucking happy. Like what's wrong with that? Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. From a, I want to say with the numbers, like this fascinates me. I have no desire to like open a clinic or hire anyone, but as I'm reading this book and just thinking about things from a numbers perspective, uh, when you hire, like you said before, initially it's going to profit's going to go down. It has to, because they're not seeing anybody you're exactly. paying them, but they're not seeing anybody right. unless it's like a, you know, keep what you kill kind of model, which I, you know, um, what are you looking at when things settle in? What are we thinking about in terms of kind of like the, the ROI from hiring this person? Like how much are they bringing to the business Yeah, and, and like versus what you're paying them? So it depends what it, it, it depends what your, um, your model, it depends on your, how your model's set up. And more than anything, it depends on how uh, you charge. So your you, the average visit rate, and this is one of the things that I harp on. And I'm like, so you have no idea how excited I am right now to talk numbers. Like I fucking love this shit because the, the reality is we need to know this stuff in order to be able to make the right decisions, yeah. not just uh, for the business, but what we're doing for other people. So in the book you're referencing, the biggest takeaway from that is that there's a certain percentage that you can pay out for service businesses w- before you cannibalize yourself. And if you pay too low, you're going to have turnover where people are yep. frustrated because they're not actually getting compensated enough. So when we look at those numbers, it's really anywhere between about 33 and 40% of gross revenue brought in by the provider. Now, here's why that's important is if somebody's listening to this and they're a staff clinician, they're like, Hey, asshole, 33 to 40%. Where's the rest of the money going? Well, the rest of the money goes into marketing, the facility, you know, all the people, taxes, insurance, all the things that you need to actually run a business to have a place to work and and benefits and all the other things that go into that, like as well as to put yourself in a place where you have profit to then reinvest and stabilize the business. Mm-hmm. So if you're paying more than that, um, the only way I've seen that, that work is if they're contractors and yes. uh, they're, you're not paying payroll taxes for them, but you got to yeah. be careful with that because there's there's some very strict federal laws around whether mm-hmm. somebody's a contractor yeah. or somebody's an employee. So, yes. you know, like it's not necessarily something we I'm, I'm necessarily an expert on, but it's definitely more complex than than um, I think people think. They're just like, oh, yeah. I can just pay them as a contractor and not have to pay taxes. Yeah, well, right. yeah, until you get audited. California, man. California, right. like everybody's an employee. Oh, for sure. Like. California is the most strict of all of them. Um, and yeah, if I had anybody, if I like, you know, any if, if I paid somebody cash to watch my house while I was gone, I would pay them as an employee because I wouldn't <laughs> want to get like, you know, dinged by that. So, you know, I think that if, if you're looking at it, that's your basis. So how you get there, it, and this it, it can depend on what you want to do. So for us, we prefer to pay our staff like a pretty decent salary for a clinician, um, like a higher base salary, I would say, right? And then from there, they get bonuses based off of number of uh, sessions that are fulfilled within the practice. So in a lot of ways, it's like a profit share, but there's a there's there's a significant safety net for them if they're like out of town or whatever, mm-hmm. or like, you know, we're slower, like their, their base salary is basically the base salary of like a starting PT. And then they get bonuses on top of that, where they can make, they can make pretty good money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that I see that I hope is, doesn't happen is as people go into business for themselves, there's this sort of repeating cycle that tends to happen where, um, business owners make decisions purely based off of revenue and they don't pay people enough. Um, uh-huh. and, and, and then eventually 
all they're doing is just, it's just the same cycle of crap where people are underpaid um, for the for what they're doing. Yep. So you know, I think you need to pay people fairly for what they're doing. And if someone's a staff clinician, they need to understand that they are a fulfiller. What they're doing is not a high uh, not a high skill thing. They may think it is, and, and I hope that nobody gets uh, you know irritated by this, but. You could be a world-class clinician, but I, t- I tell you this much, Blue Cross is going to reimburse you the same amount that a new grad gets. So yep. fulfillment is not a high you know, uh, you know, dollar task for, for the most part. You know, We want to pay our people well, the above market in particular, but we can't pay them you know, like more than, than what we can afford to pay them because it, it, it just it detracts from the business, which the yep. business feeds everybody else. So that that's where we have to make those decisions. And, and, um, you know, I, I don't think like most people, the money isn't the most important thing from the job either. It's like, they need to make good money. They need to make a, a good salary for, for their, for their livelihood, but it's culture, you know, it's, uh, you know, the actual uh, like work-life balance, it's being able yeah. to say like, man, I really need to pick my kids up on the, these days. All right, cool. Let's adjust your schedule. Um, and then, you know, what other things are they into? Like what niches do they want to you know, expand into like what's going to give them satisfaction, that. what kind of courses they want to go to so they can be better what they're doing. Like all these things are, are a big part of it. And, um, you know, so it's not just about, about money. There's a lot more than that, uh, but you, we got to compensate people fairly. So that's sort of the brackets oh, that right. I look at in, in, in this type of business, at least. Ah, that makes total sense. I love everything you brought in there. And there was like an NPR, uh, actually before I say that, Courtney, I will send you the link and then you can link that in the show notes for the book that we're talking about. Uh, it's by, I think it's like, his name is like Greg Crabtree. Greg Crabtree, like Simple Numbers. I've heard this guy yeah. talk twice and each time I felt like an idiot. And he, uh, so finally I bought his book and, and honestly, like, I mean, it is definitely related to traditional brick and mortar businesses. Yeah. Um, he's very smart accountant, but, um, his whole point is basically how to make like how to make staffing decisions proactively is the point of the book. Yes. Um, and there's some other things in there. In fact, he claims that he came up with profit first before profit first. Uh, mm-hmm. at least that's what he said. Um, and there are some things in there where he's talking about yeah, allocating exactly. money to others. Mm-hmm. So, Hey, maybe he's right about that. So Mike McCallowitz, maybe <laughs> you got it from Greg Crabtree. <laughs> I don't know both either way. I think it's a great system, um, and worth read or reading that yeah. one. Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely makes sense. Um, and you know, I, I've spoken on this podcast quite a few times about Profit First, which is I learned about that from Danny at that same mastermind, and that was one of the biggest and the best things financially that I've done for uh, my business. Yeah, especially um, with tax season. Like, don't you feel so much better? Dude, that so the thing is, I was doing Profit First before. I read that because I am like per, was perpetually and I still am perpetually scared of going to jail. So okay. I had a, I had like a million accounts already because I had different jobs and so I had a bunch of different accounts and then I was just would always put money aside and put 40% aside Whoa. from everything into the tax account and just not touch it because I was like, I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> so, we gotta pay taxes, there's no doubt about that. Forty percent probably was a bit more than what you were paying. I was, fine. I was like, <laughs> I was like, worst case scenario, I'm gonna have extra money in there. Yeah. That's fine. So when I went to the mastermind and then you had to you know, we were talking about that, I actually went and changed the accounts right? Because Danny gave us time oh, yeah. during the mastermind, which I loved. We had time to actually do things. So I went and actually changed the things and like set up my allocations and my percentages that day, like during the time. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then I've, I've done that since. I have, I have an accountant now, uh, but I'm still moving the things around myself because it's actually quite fun. But- I think that's a great business hack. Just, just you know, real quick for people as far as 
understanding what to do with the cash that comes into your account because it's it's there's yeah. no rules. Like no one's no one's standing over your shoulder yeah. and be like, move this much over here or don't <laughs> don't go buy that BMW just yet. You know, like no one's saying these things. So the whole point of it, and I I, I like to use a, a very simplified variation of it. Um, so you can go read the book if you'd like. I'll, if you just want to hear what I do, I'll explain it in like a minute. So there's three accounts. And all I do is when money comes in, I have a main operating account for the business. I have a profit account and I have a tax account. That's it. I don't do all the five accounts that he recommends mm -hmm. or whatever. I just do that. I pay myself out of the operating account. Um, all, all of our expenses go out of the operating account. But when, when money comes in, a certain amount is allocated to taxes, a certain amount is allocated to profit. Like as soon as you know, we, we get, we get paid. I usually do that actually twice a, twice a month, um, mm -hmm. where we'll allocate those things. And, uh, and, and that, that just puts us in a place where, uh, you know, we're proactive about it. And yeah, when tax season comes around, which is right now, I actually got my, my final tax, uh, bill from our, uh, from our accountant, uh, today at lunch. So, uh, uh, but, but like the fear of that goes away when you're Gosh. ready for, um, you know, what, what you're yeah. going to owe and, and you're not, you're not like cash strapped because you haven't managed your cash flow very well, which can be really hard to do when you're trying to make decisions with that money to reinvest in the business or not, or whatever else. So that's what I do. And I think it's very helpful. Super helpful. And it helps you make these decisions, which is actually why I was asking, asking Danny, some of these numbers, I'm not trying to bring on another maestro to do things, but when I was thinking about hiring a VA, when I was thinking about hiring people to manage my Facebook groups, it became very easy because I knew how much money oh, I had in the business right. and I knew where I was at. And like, can I actually pay for ads? Like you see it, it's all right there. There's no like commingling of funds and guessing. And then like, Oh my God, tax season came and what am I doing? So right. highly recommend um, Courtney, if you could link all the episodes we did with Sandy as well, well, that would be amazing. We've talked about this quite a few times. It's like a- That's your CPA, you know, right? Safety. Yeah, it's my CPA. Yeah. Like, financial safety is something that's like very, very big for me. And Why do you think that is? I'm actually, I'm, I'm super interested in the psychology of money. Not not to yeah. turn this around on you. Uh, yeah. I tend to do that with people on podcasts because I do so many damn podcasts. But like, I'm <laughs> so interested in people's view of money. And like, it definitely sounds like you're like, I don't want to screw up the taxes. I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. You know, I don't want like, so, but like, where do you think that comes from? Because obviously growing up. Yeah. So like, I mean, totally. what, what about that? Like, what was it that makes you feel like, you know, there's this, uh, um, protectiveness around money that you need. Cause some people are just frivolous with it. So it sounds they like you're are. like complete opposite. The opposite. So like, I like to go and spend and buy things. I, we didn't, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, but I never felt like, Oh, we're just one step away from like disaster. So I don't have yeah. that kind of bad relationship, but I also realize that when you have money, you have freedom. And for totally. me, it's protecting that freedom of like, you know, when I was younger, like my mom provided me with everything, but I also had to work to get certain things like working to get cleats and things like that. Uh, and I had a relationship with my, my stepdad where it was kind of like he would give things, but then take them away. Mm. And I knew from the minute, like the first time it happened, I was like, this will never happen again. I will make as much money as I want. No one's going to take things away from me. And I will be able to provide for those who need my, my family who need anything. And I will never do that to them. Yeah. So growing up with that, I was like the safety of for me, I think it's the safety of having, protecting my freedom more than like, will I be able to eat? Cause I never, I didn't grow up being like, where's the next meal coming from? Like, that's yeah. a, a completely different thing. For me, it was, do I have the freedom, the ability to do what I want to do when I want to do it or can is someone else in control? And I don't want that. Yeah. I think that's huge. Especially if you're looking at like, if you feel like you, um, 
are at a position and you have an opportunity to be able to be the safety net for your family, yeah. uh, like that's a that's that's a lot of responsibility. I think that's a really um, that's a really powerful thing, and I'm sure there's there's probably you know the protective nature of that is uh, probably a big driver you know as well. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's been cool. I've had opportunities to now. I think I spoke about it in a podcast episode. I've been had opportunities to like co-sign for my brother on you know his apartment, and mm-hmm. and I remember when I was in living in New York City, I couldn't switch apartments because you need a guarantor. Yeah. First of all, the whole model didn't make sense to me because I was like, if I make that much money, I wouldn't be renting this shitty apartment. <laughs> like, it didn't <laughs> yeah, make any real. sense. They'd be like, you have to make a hundred times the one month salary. And I was like, why the fuck would I live here then? Like, <laughs> this is stupid. So like, you needed a guarantor and I didn't have one. So I actually chose to move to, to Long Island because my friend had a, a house out there. And I remember when I was looking for my first apartment on my own, once I had a job, I was like, I just need the first apartment, just in the first apartment. And how amazing it felt to be able to get that. And so my brother has an opportunity, but needed someone to like, you know, co-sign. And I was like, Justin, make sure you fucking pay your rent. But it was really Your little cool. brother? Yeah. Of course. Like, so not my little littlest, because my little littlest is in, he's in the Marines right now. But Justin, who is 29, I guess, yeah. something like 20, 28, um, is in Philly. And he was just like, I know it's a better apartment. And I was like, you know what? I didn't have someone who could do this for me. And I remember how terrible that felt. And I, I am actually feels really good to be able to do this for you. So it definitely, you know, all of that definitely helps with keeping me going with certain things. I don't feel the stress of like, Oh God, I gotta do this. Or like, you know, people can't eat. It's just like, I have an opportunity to do this and they're also grateful. So that's definitely, I think that's so cool. I I, I think, you know what you're doing. And I I think about this too, because like, I, I come from a, just a super middle-class, you know, you know, one, one family member working kind of, you know, family, three kids. And, uh, it was just, it just, and I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm like very fortunate because I just started in a, in a pretty safe environment in a, in a, but in an environment where it was like, we had everything that we needed, but not necessarily what, yeah. we, what we wanted. Totally. And so we had, at least I did, I had the strong desire to like drive for things that I wanted and like make my own totally. money. And, and I was always like working at a super early age, but what you're doing it like where you're with your family is you're basically just helping them start like at second base instead of That's having it. to start home play. And yeah. you know, what's cool with that is like to be in that position, to be able to, um, you know, provide, uh, you know, support <clears throat> with ho- hopefully like being, uh, an example as well. Like, I think that's the coolest part is like, it's this example of, you know, looking like what my big sister has done, right. It's like, that's a yeah. really cool thing that, that is, uh, is a byproduct of like the, the work success and things that you've had, but like, that's just like a cool thing for your family to see as well. And for you to be able to sign with him, I think is awesome. So, you know, I, like I, I just, I'm fascinated by, this idea of like the psychology of money and everybody, not everybody, most people, they just think of this, like, this is bad thing, right? It's just this shitty, like the, just, just chasing it. I do think is a bad thing, but like what it does is it creates opportunities for people. And if you're a good person, it creates uh, opportunities to do better thing, a good things for other people. And, and I think that people like you should make as much money as, as possible because you're going to do awesome stuff with it. I appreciate you so much, Danny, but I totally I totally agree. I, I am at, as well super interested in this the psychology of it. And I think that's all, why, why I uh, also love Ramit's work is because he, he dives into that. Totally. You just see how many people have such a bad relationship with it. And it's really unfortunate because it's something that we 
we need. Like I know people like kind of yeah. don't want to need it, but it's also like the world we live in. Even if you're like, I'm going off the grid. I'm like, but how are you building your house? Like, <laughs> what? I are would you- die. And then like, you know, have you ever seen like the office where like Michael goes out into the office and he's just about to eat like a poison berry and he, <laughs> he like rips his pants, off, uh, like his pants off, legs off, and then he has to like tape him back on because he gets cold. Like that's, that's what would happen to me. Like if I went off the grid, it would, I would basically just be going there to die because they would make all the wrong decisions. So That's yeah, they're no, like, I need a house. I need to pay for that. So yeah, it's, it's important. I build this stuff. I'm not like going and surviving. Like, okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a necessary thing. And like you said, it can bring us so many opportunities, which is again, you know, to, to bring the episode full circle, which is why I am so grateful for all that you're doing. And I love that you are cognizant of, you know, how you can help bring opportunities for other create other create opportunities for others and help others to create opportunities for themselves yeah and kind of have this bigger impact that is this is awesome danny I, i'm really grateful for all that you that you're doing i really am well i think that's i think that what you just said is probably the most important part was like helping others create opportunities for themselves right like i think that is the key and you know for me like like I said, look, I, I, I saw, I signed on to make 80 to hundred thousand dollars a year in the army yeah. of all places. Right. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go, this, this is what I want to do. And it's not what I do now. And, you know, at least financially, I'm in a far different position than I ever thought that I would be. And it's, it's, it's not like that. That's, that's not necessarily even the, the point is that it, I'm an idiot. If I can do this, anybody can do this. You know, like I'm not like some super superhero and we, we can, do many people can like do the exact same thing by shifting their skill set slightly to focus on something a little bit different and learn some some basic business principles and be able to leverage their their clinical skill set, which is highly needed, to turn that into something that can then really put them in a better financial position. They 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 learn how to manage that more importantly than anything. It's not like they won the lottery and they just squander it. Like they learn fiscal discipline. They are they're able to then uh you know take that and then help their family for generations by learning the exact same skills and seeing what those people did. And it's just like, it's just such a, a cool thing to just pass forward and to see as a one, in my opinion, one of the few bright spots in the profession. I think people are so fucking down on physical therapy and I, I look around and I just get so excited. I'm like, dude, we have so many awesome opportunities. I don't know what these other people are looking at, but what I see on a day-to-day basis with the people that we work with is just massive, massive opportunity to really be you know, able to function in these unique environments, to, to m- make a better living, but more than anything, to like put ourselves in a place where we can then help hire other people that can really enjoy the jobs that they like and have more satisfaction and meaning in what they're doing. And it just seems to be a win-win. So like, obviously, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. This is the, This is what... I, uh, I really enjoy doing it. And I, I really enjoy kind of helping people have that, that success, but also personally being able to, you know, manage themselves along the way and enjoy a balanced, uh, life of success, not necessarily just on paper, making a bunch of money and, and then ruining everything else. Cause that's, that's just like the worst thing I think you could do. So I just appreciate the opportunity to chat again. It's always cool to catch up. I love learning about your backstory with your, your big little brothers that, uh, you're, you're helping out. That's so cool that you're doing that. And, and, uh, anyway, it's just fun to chat. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, always my pleasure, Danny, before you go one, we'll link everything one, where can the people find you? And if they want to check out uh, mastermind and what's going on with that, where can they do that? Yeah, I mean the easiest place uh, for people that you know are interested in learning more about what we're what we're um, doing is just to go to physicaltherapybiz 
bizcom um, and they can kind of learn about everything there. Uh, you know, there's, we have case studies there. We have all of our podcasts are up there. Um, we have a five day challenge that we made. That's really cool. It's actually, uh, you know, on the finance topic, I think it's actually the best free, uh, content that we have because it's, it's like, we have literally like calculators that we had to custom create for this to get people very clear on like what their expenses are and what they need to make to offset that. And then, you know, essentially create a one page business plan at the end. So if anybody has any aspirations of even going that route, like that's, that'll get you organized. The whole point of that was like, get you clear on what you need to do. Um, so that's there as well. And I think that's just a really cool, you know, thing to go through if, if you're willing to do the work on it. So physicaltherapybiz.com, um, that's the best place and, and, uh, they can learn everything there. Uh, amazing. We will link all of that. Thank you, Courtney, Danny, as always, just thank you. I'm so grateful you took the time to troubleshoot. You were over there being Mr. Tech. <laughs> we and, figured it out, uh, man. Control, we restart. <laughs> <laughs> Doing all the things, helping me out since day one and just incredibly grateful, Danny. Thank you for everything that you do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for doing this awesome podcast and, and, uh, you know, putting it out there. So I appreciate it. I know much, I know how much hard work it is and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's very obvious you, you put a lot of effort into it. So thanks so much again for having me on for the fourth time. I hope that we have a fifth, uh, eventually, uh, and, uh, I look forward to it. Is it guaranteed you folks listening? Thank you. We know you could have been doing anything and you chose to listen to us for nearly an hour and a half. And for that, we are both endlessly, endlessly appreciative. If you liked it, if you loved it, if you're picking up what we are putting down, I got two asks for you. Number one, go and reach out to Danny. He may or may not be on Instagram. Sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. <laughs> but if he is, say hello. Let him know that you enjoyed the episode. Second ask is share this with somebody who you think it may help. We talked a lot of numbers today. We got kind of a strategic with things and into the tactical side of things, which I really love. So if you know someone out there that could possibly use some help with that, do me a solid and share it. All right, officially wrapping it up. Until next time, friends, Dr. Danny McKay and Maestro, 